You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole for all things outside of Star Trek. And I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and I am just so excited to be back in London with the one and only Christy Morris. Why elementary, my dear Watson? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fantastic. Um, Well, no, I'm I'm actually really excited uh, because... We're talking about Enola Holmes 2 tonight, which, you know, both you and I enjoyed the first one, So, uh, but it had room to grow. But it has two of our favorites with Millie Bobby Brown and Henry Cavill. So it's like, how can you Mm -hmm. go wrong? Well, before we dive into talking about the movie, of course, huge thank you to everybody that's listening. We've had some really big weeks recently with numbers and so just really appreciate everybody tuning in to the shows of course i think we've had some great episodes recently as well uh talking about some great star wars content some john wick i mean the the list is endless and uh as we look to round down this year we've got a great year coming up in 2023 as well we've got some fantastic movies we're going to be talking about and in all honesty 2023 is going to be a huge movie year because a lot is coming out into the theaters that had gotten pushed back. Yes, we're still talking about that idea. (laughs) So there's going to be a lot coming at you. And also, you're going to be able to look at for content on Patreon that Christy and I are going to be recording that you will only be able to find on Patreon. So if you would like that content, Christy and I are going to be putting out at least four episodes a year there, if not more. And we're going to be starting here at the end of this year uh, with a very special episode. So you want to check that out. And to be able to get that, you're going to be wanting to support us on Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash trackfm, become part of the team so you can get the special episodes for only Patreon members. Um, we're really excited about this and it's going to be a lot of fun. So you'll want to do that. And plus it helps keep the network coming to you and Also, you can support us by going over to two main social media platforms, Twitter or Instagram, and following us and interacting with us, sharing our episodes. We'd love to hear from you. On Twitter, we're at the 602 Club. And on Instagram, we're at the 602 Club TFM. You can also find us, of course, on Facebook with the entire network over at facebook.com slash trackfm. There is a listeners-only discussion group, which we would love for you to join and be able to talk to listeners from all over the world about our shows. Uh, of course, the 602 Club as well. You can find that by searching Babel there on the Facebook search field, and you'll find our group in that we can let you in and you can join the conversation. Of course, you can also find us online at trek.fm, where you can see all of the shows that we're doing here on the network. And if you would like to, you can also send us an email over at trek.fm slash contact. That is a great place to go as well. So with all of that out of the way, Christy, uh, this 
movie, Enola Holmes 2, kind of picks up right where the other left off. Uh, Enola Holmes has helped, of course, solve a very big mystery. And I I really liked the way this movie started because I liked that we had Enola struggling. Um, and I felt like the reality of that felt very right uh, for the time period. Uh, and I, I felt like, too, it gave more room for the character to grow because we we didn't just start with her, okay, yeah, she solved her big mystery and now she's uber successful and everybody loves her and, you know, uh, things are just gangbusters. I, I think, to me, this was much more interesting place to start. Yeah, I think you're right on the money that they are trying to portray this as being at, um, in the 1800s in London and you have to be realistic if you're setting something in that time about historically what was going on at that time in real life. And women were still very much not independent. And although things were starting to gain some momentum toward that direction, um, there were still a lot of things that were very sexist and um, were very driven by men. And so I like that they show that a woman trying to start her own business at that time in history in that place wouldn't be easy. <laughs> um, I'd like to know how many actually were successful in real life, because, you know, it, although it's awesome that she tries to do that, it makes sense, like you said, the struggles that she has with it. And then, too, you pair that with her brother being Sherlock Holmes at a time when, you know, if he was real, he would have been more popular as well, much less being a man versus her being a woman, you would see the struggle there as well with people preferring to work with him. So I think that it's fair, the struggles they show her going through and an interesting way to start it out to show how is she going to move forward from that? No. And I, I was also thinking too, as you were talking, I mean, it, it's also her age. Yeah. I mean, she's very young. So she's and got so the trifecta of struggles. <laughs> <laughs> trifecta struggles i love that no 100 percent. and i think you rightly pointed out there too you know when you think about the fact that you know she is the sister of sherlock holmes who is you know miles above her in popularity mm-hmm. and notoriety because of the cases that he has already solved um you know he's the premier detective of his time and so, I mean, really, she does have the deck stacked against her completely. Uh, and and so, again, I felt like, you know, one of the things that the movie rightly does is giving Enola something else to, to overcome here in the movie. And, 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 and I think part of it, and, and this ties into, you know, something that is, a, is another theme in the film that we'll talk a little bit more about in a while, but I, I think her attitude towards everybody um, and, and trying to do everything on her own without any help um, and without, uh, you know, anybody being able to lend a hand to her um, and feeling like she does have to do it all on her own is is also a big part of her struggles mm-hmm. um, and, and a big part of her, you know, arc throughout the film uh, and the things that she she, you know, needs to learn. So I it really was um, 
you know, I, I felt like that this is one of the ways in which that the movie oh, I think it did a much better job than even the first film in that really uh, giving us um, something that just felt more like natural. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it it just it didn't it didn't feel so forced upon you. Everything uh, felt more nat, like you said, natural. I think that's a great word. Um, and 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 it just made for I think in the end, um, a more enjoyable movie. Uh, because everything, uh, just felt more real in that sense. Um, you know, obviously there's there's a lot in this movie where you know uh, you're you're going to have a larger than life uh things happening and putting them in situations that they probably would never be in um uh, if it wasn't for this this type of story but yeah i that's a great word um well thank you is, is, is this <laughs> the, yeah the story just feels like it's a much more natural uh, uh story that actually fits within the time period that it's in um even though the story is you know pushing boundaries beyond um you know what would have been really possible at that time period this one just seems to fit i think much better and give some valid reasons for everything not being easy for her you know we've definitely seen movies before where they are trying to tell the story of a heroine um who it ends up doesn't really have many stakes against her that make things earned and here she really is having to earn everything she gets. That's a great point too. Yeah, I, you, I mean, for what, whatever type of protagonist you have, the last thing you want is a story where everything just feels ridiculously easy right. for them. I think that's another excellent point. Um, and so, by doing this, we we actually, uh, you know, continue the ability for this character to be able to grow from one place to another by, you know, giving them some significant struggles. And, you know, like we were talking about, just ones that even just feel time appropriate mm-hmm. uh, as well. So I'm really interested to hear from you because one of the big th- things about this movie is that we have the interlocking mysteries, her case and Sherlock's case collide but I did not know um, that this, uh, you know, because in, until we got to the end of the movie, um, th- this is based off a real historical event. Um, this is based off the matchstick girls strike uh, and the life of a real life labor activist, Sarah Chapman, who we, you know, have fictionalized in the, in the film. Um, but I-, I thought that was fantastic that, a big part of this story is based on actual history. And then I felt like it, it was then the perfect type of story to be working Enola into in the first place. I really loved that too. I thought that, you know, it seemed plausible until you get to the end and you actually see the disclaimer, basically that it's all based on the match girls strike that really happened in 1888 which adds a whole other layer of cool to this movie because you you want it to feel that real and it does and so then it makes it feel so much better knowing that 
it came from real events, not obviously what happened specifically, because that was terrible. Um, But I did want to briefly explain that to people as well so that you can go and look it up yourself as well. But the the whole reason that the strike happened, they do um, give justice in this movie as um, trying to the company trying to cover it up in order to make a profit. Mm -hmm. Um, But that what happened in real life was not typhus but exactly what they say in the movie where it was exposure to phosphorus a specific kind uh, white phosphorus or yellow phosphorus they said also um apparently when you inhale the vapors can cause necrosis of the jaw which was literally called fossy jaw and that's why they show the one girl trying to come in and being told to go away that has the strange looking jaw So, yeah, it was brutal and it was a very real thing that was happening to people. And since most of their workforce was girls, it was a lot Mm -hmm. of women that um, well, actually not even women. A lot of them were under 18 um, were getting this and it could eventually lead to organ failure and death. Well, and and I'm glad that you you brought all that up because I do think that that's obviously so important, not only to the story, but I was also thinking about just the way in which it's kind of sad how little has changed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, what we see here is that it's very clear that the normal everyday public uh, and those in power are you know, willing to go along with things as long as it's, you know, kept under the rug, you know, and that they can get what they want for cheap. And then, you know, the people in power are making money. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I was just so struck by this. And, 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 you know, I, I think, um, you know, one of the things that really hit me is just, you know, we we really do deal with this problem today, um, and with a, a lot of of what we have um, is, you know, um, based off of people being taken advantage of, uh, and some really terrible ways in some mm-hmm. places. And you know, it, it is very sad to me that you know the world really has not changed all that much. Well, I mean, in some ways it has, and in some ways it hasn't. I mean. It- they did say that eventually with this issue in particular, there was um, an abolishment by law of using mm-hmm. white phosphorus. Yes. Um, but it didn't happen till 20 years after the strike, which is crazy. Yep. yep. It took that long. Um, and then by the same token, thinking about, you know, the diamond industry, we're just now finally seeing the jewelry industry mm-hmm. itself taking more measures to say that their diamonds are ethic- ethically sourced or that they're mm-hmm. engineered so they don't have to be mined by people that are being treated badly. Um, but, you know, that there's still other industries that aren't doing those things. So it's like we're making strides yep. forward in some areas and then steps back in others. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think 
you know, um, you, you think of anything from your sneakers to your cell phone, you know, and, uh, there's, there's just so many, uh, places where again, you know, there's, there's a lot that just hasn't changed. And, you know, so again, I think this movie does a great job of, you know, really reminding us that we have to be vigilant of these things and we'd be willing to listen, you know, when these things actually happen. Right. Um, and be willing to, uh, to, to, to do something about them. Right. You know, I, I think, isn't it better to treat people like human beings and have to pay more for an item? Right. right. Like that, that's really what it comes down to, you know? And, you know, that what I thought was really interesting, too, is that so the way that this story then collides with the story um, that Sherlock is working on is uh, there's all of this money being moved around uh, and he's trying to figure out how it all works together. And it turns out that we see the character behind it all is Moriarty. But it's a different type of Moriarty than you would we you would get in most classic Sherlock Holmes films because this Moriarty is actually Mira Troy, who is the secretary of the treasurer, uh, Minister Lord Charles McIntyre, and so uh, I think you know tying this together where you have Moriarty being you know a woman who you know is upset because, you know, her abilities aren't uh, looked at um, highly uh, and she's not seen for the genius that she is. uh, And therefore she takes that out on all of these people. And like, she's the one who is a part of what's going on with these girls, but even she doesn't care about them. You know, and so I just I loved the way that both of these stories really work together. And I think it 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 goes to show that even people that you think should care about certain things might not because of their own, uh, you know, personal uh, benefits, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, in this, you know, she's she's using people to get back at other people who are using other people because she's being it's like it's this web of misuse. And it is really, really sad to see that in in the end again. And I I think this is another place where we just kind of see um, the world hasn't changed as much as we would like just think it has because again this happens all the time Mm -hmm. as well you know and so um and i also kind of i i also loved that you know this moriarty um was different you know for this version of uh the homes so yeah i'm with you i i think that it was a really cool reveal to have moriarty be the treasury minister's assistant um, or a secretary and also that twist that like you said she's you would think that another woman would be on the side of women and girls that are going through this that they can't help mm-hmm. and that they have to make a living to and deal with um but she doesn't care either because she has her own things yep. to prove and in fact she's 
the person responsible for killing some of those girls, you know, um, like actually coming out and stabbing May, for example, um, not just letting them die from exposure to phosphorus, but actually killing people. So she is so much more sinister even than just the men in charge of the company because she's making it even worse. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it, I don't know a ton about the Sherlock Holmes stories about the previous Moriarty, but I do like this version and that you would not expect her at all. Yeah. You know, with, with Sherlock Holmes, Moriarty is Holmes biggest nemesis, mm. you know, the one who, uh, the brain is capable of thinking and stumping the great Sherlock Holmes, you know, um, and he's also the one uh, that is responsible in the classic Sherlock Holmes stories for Holmes's death. Oh, okay. Uh, they both go to their death, you know, over a waterfall. And then, of course, you know, Holmes comes back and uh, because he was so beloved that, um, Arthur Conan Doyle got in trouble for killing him basically with the public. <laughs> just the outcry was too much. So, you know, it, yeah. So it's, again, I think what's great about this version of the Holmes, um, you know, now that we have Enola uh, as a part of this story and everything, I thought it was great that, yeah, we, we created a Moriarty that uh, is not only a nemesis for, Sherlock, but it was also a nemesis for mm-hmm. Enola. Um, and so I thought that, you know, that was great as well. Um, you know, one other thing that I didn't actually put on the outline here, but, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, the, the struggles for Enola. But one of the things that I also appreciated uh, in this film was that they don't make Sherlock dumber to make Enola smarter. Mm-hmm. They actually do the exact opposite, um, where there are things that you see Enola miss that Sherlock picks up, and it it and I just really appreciate that because you know I think too many times we have seen places where you take one character and make them dumber so the other one feels smarter, right. and here I think they actually make Enola feel smarter because. Her brother is not an idiot. Right. Well, and even they, you know, allude that in comparison to the average person that Sherlock is kind of a genius. So it would stand to reason that most people wouldn't stack up to him. So I like that they're showing that also probably because she's younger as well. She still has more to learn and that she can stand to learn from him. Um, So, yeah, I I liked Mm -hmm. that as well. And I I thought. I did want to add another thing to that that we didn't include in the outline, which is the inclusion of so much, um, so many different ciphers. I've loved that piece of the Enola Holmes movies of both of them, um, of Enola and Sherlock having to figure out these ciphers together. And even you as the audience feeling like a part of that puzzle. And, you know, showing Sherlock going through all of the different notes on his board and coming up with the fact that it was 27 dances and having to go through and get each letter until it spelled out Moriarty Uh, or no, I'm sorry. It spelled out. um, Nice to meet you, Sherlock Holmes. 
I thought was so funny. No, I 100% agree with you. And and then he's able to figure out from that cipher, you know, the main bank code, which spells out Moriarty. You know, so, you know, absolutely. No, I, I right there with you. I thought that all of that was was excellent. And I, I think, you know, it's again, it, it's just an important thing for, you know, if you're going to have a movie like this and you're going to introduce a character like Enola, who is obviously the sister of the most famous detective in all of literature, that you can't make her brother stupider so that she seems exactly he truly needs to be sherlock holmes um and then again i think the beauty of that because you haven't made him a dumber character when he does give her praise for what she is able to do and is able to come up with and in in some ways you know when when she can challenge him and you know then it feels like a partnership. Then it feels like these are these are characters that where you see Enola becoming more of an equal for her brother instead of um, you know somebody who is always just going to be learning from him. Right. You know, um, they you know, it, again. I just I think that's just really well done, and it's very smart that they did not go you know the other direction that we've seen too many movies go. Th- in uh these days yeah, so definitely um yeah uh i also just uh, i kind of love uh, david thewlis being in this movie as the superintendent grail yes uh, he's so good at being swarmy and just uh, terribly evil i mean i think of him all the way back in dragon heart where he plays the just god-awful king who you just cannot stand i'm so glad you said and that. and then at the same time i think of the same thing yeah Ronan. right yes or is that right i think so I, it sounds right it's been a very long time since i've seen dragon heart so uh but i always remember that character but and and the beauty of him is that as a character he can be on the opposite side where he can Einan. play sorry uh you know i yes there you go uh it's close enough um so, but you know, you you get him playing uh, everybody's favorite professor at Hogwarts, mm-hmm. Lupin, and you know, so I he's but it, and and I think that it, he's just so perfect in this film in that way because again, he can play the like the bad guy you just have a hard time even looking at because they're so ugh, uh, and I love it. I really do. I think it's great. So the way that David speaks reminds me a lot as well of sort of the the cadence and things of Alan Rickman as well. And just I I regard them Mm. both as equally talented Um, and and was really glad to see him here as the villain because it makes so much sense. He, He really is, like you were saying, so good at playing someone very smarmy and um, just icky and kind of going about doing people's bidding um, for bad. And I, I like that mm-hmm. they even have him and Enola have that scene in the prison where you realize that she's gotten in over her head, maybe. Yes. No, I 100% agree with you. I, I think that's a place where, again, this movie does a great job of allowing your character to have weaknesses or struggles doesn't make them a less strong character. Mm-hmm. 
it just makes them much more relatable and much more human. And and I think this movie, this is where this movie, I think, has a leg up on the first film because I think Enola just feels like a much more relatable character and a much better written character because they're, I don't feel like they're just trying to spend so much time making her a wonderkin. Yes. You know, and so, like you said, in that scene with Superintendent Grail, that is a perfect example of where they are writing this character in a way that, okay, we want the character to be able to feel like it grows from one place to another. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, speaks to something that we mentioned earlier, but I definitely want to dive into because I loved how this movie is really, in a lot of ways, about the idea of having too much independence. Uh, And, you know, Amnola's mother discusses with her maybe the idea that she made and raised her children to be too independent. Like, that, and in some ways, they've kind of become independently lonely because they've got this feeling like they need to do everything on their own mm-hmm. and that you can't truly be yourself if you uh, are looking to anybody else for help. And And really, this whole movie becomes more about you do need people in your life. You need people in your team because you can't do everything in life completely alone. And we need community. And this whole movie is about what we can accomplish together is greater than what we can do in a, alone. And that's on the small scale with just Enola and like with her brother and with Tewksbury and, uh, you know, uh, everybody else that's in her little circle as of course, the larger scale towards, you know, the idea that we're telling the story here of the Matchstick Girls strike and what they're able to do and get changed. You know, it's years down the road in law, but they are able to do it because they do it together. Exactly. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's multiple levels that they prove in the story here how important it is to ask for help and to work as a team because of course there are times when anyone will feel like, well, if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. And so it's better that I just do it all on my own. But even just Sherlock and Enola realize that separately, even on their two cases, they can't do them alone because they're technically the same case (laughs) and they eventually intersect. And then also, you know, find out that maybe there's different strengths each of them have to bring to the table that they lack mm-hmm. on their own. Um, and then I do love the signification that her mother gives as well of that the loneliness piece of things that if you get so dead set on doing everything alone, then you'll find that you're always alone and I want you to realize that, you know, just because I didn't end up with a husband per se, you know, that doesn't mean necessarily that that's the right path for you. I feel her mother's trying to tell her that if you feel something for Tewksbury, don't dismiss him because you're busy with work and your cases. Mm-hmm. 
you know, make sure that you don't spend your life buried so much in your work and doing everything on your own that you overlook him and end up alone. Yeah. Well, and I mean, this goes to just such an important point, which is, you know, all of life is relational, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, Human beings seek companionship. Exactly. Exactly. Every part of being a human being is about being in relationship to others in some way, shape, or form. And those relationships are important for helping us become better people, right? You know, and and that's one of the things I think that we were both really keen on as well is the fact that because Enola has struggles in these movies, uh, we see that you know, she's able to learn from her mother. She's able to learn from her brother. She's able to learn from Tewksbury. She's able to learn from Edith. You know, she's have she has all these people that she's able to learn from. And it's not just a this um, consumeristic relationship in the sense that they give her something and then she gets you know gives them no. something. But it's it's this it's this companionship. It is this community, right? And I think you know what's great about that is that. This is a lesson that we're not only teaching Enola in this movie, but we're subtly teaching Sherlock in this movie that maybe he needs companionship and friendship. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's not meant to just be alone. And that's where, you know, we step in and at the very end of the film, you know, we we introduce him to Watson finally. Um, But, you know, I, I think I just I really like this because... There's such a danger of telling people that only you can define who you are and you don't need anybody else. Like, well, that's not necess- That's not really true. I mean, I'm defined by all the relationships in my life, and those relationships m- help make me a better person. Mm-hmm. I'm a brother. I'm a you know a husband. I'm a friend, I'm a son, you know, like all of those things are, are good things. And, um, the, where we invest in those relationships, uh, can make all the difference. And so I just, I really loved this because I I do feel like a lot of movies, especially aimed more at families and kids talk about like, you just have to be the best versions of you and you, you find out you mm-hmm. and, and, and like, don't listen to anybody else. And, and, and I, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with being in relationship with other people, especially those who are and who are and have the ability to be mentors and teachers and like, like, and, and help us, you know, again, be better versions of ourselves um, and we are wise if we look to the wisdom of others, especially those in, in all many cases that are older than we yeah. are because they've been there, done that. Oh, know? yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, that was such a an easy thing that they could have completely passed over in this movie, but they didn't. And I, I'm really mm-hmm. glad that they focus specifically on this as a plot point. And even having Edith talk about it's the strongest that are willing to reach out to others for help. I loved Mm -hmm. that quote because it is true that you 
we are weak if we don't have the courage to say, I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. And those are the strongest people because they realize there is no possible way that one person can know Mm -hmm. everything there is to know and be perfect at everything there is to be. Yes. Um, And so that's why we lean on each other. And that's why, you know, for example, like with my job, part of what I do is a lot of writing. I always have a second set of eyes look over my writing before I publish Mm -hmm. something. Not because I think that I'm not a good writer, but just because I might miss something. No one's perfect. So, yeah, I just I love that whole thread to this and um, and showing how Mm -hmm. important it is that we are willing to ask for help and realize that we don't know it all. Yeah, no, I that's so well said because it, it was just thinking about that idea. Like I do the same thing if I'm writing something. And part of that is, you know, in your head, something might sound right. And to another person, it might not make right. sense the way you've written it. Mm-hmm. Right. So and if you're writing for an audience, yeah, 100%. So I, I love that. Um, well, it is it's the end of the movie. We we have Enola. She has a new shop, but this time it's not her own shop it's actually housed within edith's shop so she's getting a great deal in rent (laughs) and she's getting help Uh, and now she's allowing tewksbury to court her and um of course we talked about relationally as well sherlock meets watson and so how did you feel like uh, you know this movie comes to a close especially with the fact that we also seem to be setting up maybe who the third and final villain. I mean, if this turns into like a trilogy uh, with Moriarty ex- escaping. I think it was a really seamless way to wrap up this story, but leave it open-ended to a possible further mm-hmm. sequel. Um, because I do think that they made it feel again, very natural, especially with Holmes asking Enola about, possibly the two of them having their own agency together and she declines, Mm -hmm. which I didn't expect to happen. Um, And then she's the one that really says to him, I don't think the right person for that is me, but I do think you shouldn't do it alone. And so that introduces Mm -hmm. the idea that he's going to meet Watson um, and um, in a, a good way. Because you do realize how much yes. Sherlock is really puzzled by things and is trying so hard to do everything alone. And that really naturally fits with that idea of asking for help and having a possible like business partner that's not a family member <laughs> could be mm-hmm. better. Yeah. Um, and, and I like, too, that they show that teamwork as well with her being part of Edith's shop, that she's going to continue to be part of this women's independence movement with her mother and Edith and others mm-hmm. and not have to do everything on her own. No, I I just couldn't agree with you more. I think um I really liked the way that it ended. Um I thought that uh, it was it was wonderful to be uh, able to see these characters kind of learn the lessons from the movie and actually take them uh and use them. You know, um and there's nothing more frustrating to get to the end of the film. And the character hasn't actually really seemed to have moved forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think this this was just a, an excellent job in that sense. And, you know, I, I, I 
like you, I, I really actually loved that, you know, we see Sherlock offer her the opportunity of a partnership. And, and I appreciate, too, you know, it, she's right. If if they did uh, end up in a partnership together like that, you know, she would never be able to move past his shadow. Right. But that doesn't mean, obviously, that they couldn't work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I thought that that was great. And then, you know, to have Moriarty escape, I think, you know, that's just kind of a no-brainer because I do feel like this would make a nice trilogy to have things kind of wrap up. You know, I I can't see uh, either one of them necessarily wanting to continue to do these forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, too, you're going to get to the point where, and and Millie Bobby Brown is somebody who is still very young but I doubt that she kind of wants to play this character forever. And so, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the way this ended. And I thought it was really just a fun uh, ending as well um, in that, uh, especially just her, you know, walking arm in arm with Tewksbury at the end mm-hmm. and, um, you know, them bantering back and forth. And, you know, it, it feels like even if you, we never got another one, it it it's it's just a really good end so um what did you think uh, so daniel pemberton who did the music for the first movie he did this movie as well and i'm a big fan of his music in the first place because he did um the man from uncle uh and he's done some other films that i've really liked he did the uh dark crystal series on netflix uh, and of course so, um, how did how did you like it? Did it did it work well for you here? Did you feel like it fit the the story? Um, yeah, what did you end up thinking? Yeah, I thought it was really good. I think that it stands out as music that really evokes that um, mystery feeling, and you know, like you're along the ride with a detective, um, just with the music alone. So, I did really enjoy it, and um, I think that it, it doesn't stand out as much for me as like a specific themes that come to mind from memory. But I do think that it works very well for this kind of movie. And I, I I like his other work as well. So I think that he does a great job. I think it's not necessarily like, you know, John Williams, larger than life kind of thing, but it's still great. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. You know, I think he is, he has a real talent in all honesty for um movies like this uh and you know the i think the spy genre Mm -hmm. he does really well oceans eight Um, he's yeah he he's able to just do things that are uh, he just has a really lively sound here um and i just i really enjoy the soundtrack here and i I think he's created a fun theme for enola that's very sweet uh and just the action music here all works too so, I mean, to me, it's it's a fantastic job. And, and again, it continues for what he did there for uh, the first film and just builds upon that. And I, I think it's it's great. So uh, I feel like, Christy, that we've honestly had pretty much nothing but praise for this movie. I'm very much looking forward to seeing where you come down on your ratings for Enola Holmes 2. So I honestly really enjoyed this and i think that the 
only mild criticism I have for it is that in the beginning, it felt like it took a little bit of time to get going to really hook me um, until after even we meet Bessie. Um, so I, I'm, I still, though, give it a four out of five waltzes. Because I do genuinely love that scene as well, where Tewksbury is teaching Enola how to dance. It's just a really sweet mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. And she finally kind of gets some romance as well. And um, and ballroom dancing is something that I love. So it's just a cute scene. Um, but altogether, I think that it has a lot of really good storytelling, especially. And that's what I feel like you need in order to justify sequels. So... Um, yeah, I, I give it a four out of five. Yeah, I, I really like what you said there uh, about their dance sequence and then the idea of, of allowing them to have romance. And, you know, I, I just feel like this is a place where a lot of movies these days, they're afraid to allow, I feel like, to have female characters have romance because in some ways that undermines their character. Right. But I I think the beauty of this film is that the whole point of it, as we talked about with the theme of just not living so independently that you miss life and you miss relationship with others. By allowing her to have that at the end um, is beautiful, right? It's, It's a gorgeous part of life to be in relationship with somebody else and to get to share your life with somebody else. And so I really appreciate appreciated that and i'm right there with you you know i think the first movie felt like just i hate to say it but it was just kind of a miss you mm-hmm. know it, it just there's something about it that um just felt off and it didn't quite capture what it could have and it, it just i think it had some missteps um in, in it and whereas as we were watching this one I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun and vibrant and and just exactly what I expected the first movie to be. I feel like this movie was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I really enjoyed this film. And I also give it four out of five as well. It was just, it was great. So um, yeah, 100% uh, there. This, is, this was a super fun uh, movie. Uh, I just... I, and I was actually, I think almost like you, I was as surprised uh, that I liked it as much as I mm-hmm. did. And I think it was because coming off that first one, I was just like, eh, you know. So, yeah, this is great. Um, well, I'm super excited now with Chrissy just to see where you're going to recommend everybody this week as we hit that section of the show. So this movie really reminded me also with the letters that Enola finds and such, how much I love poetry. So I wanted to remind people that if you haven't read poetry in a while, I highly recommend going and finding some that you enjoy. Everyone's taste is different. Maybe you don't like poetry at all, but to me, it's just something that reminds me of the beauty in life and to slow down and take a look around sometimes. And so in addition to that, I just wanted to read a short one. That's one of my lifetime favorite poems. That's um, anonymous, but came from a poetry book I found at an antique store one time. Um, And it's just called living. 
And it says, to touch the cup with eager lips and taste, not drain it. To woo and tempt and court a bliss and not attain it. To fondle and caress a joy, yet hold it lightly, lest it become necessity and cling too tightly. To watch the sunset in the west without regretting. To hail its advent in the east, the night forgetting. To smother care and happiness and grief and laughter. To hold the present close, not questioning hereafter. To have enough to share, to know the joy of giving. To thrill with all the sweets of life is living. Mm, That's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. That's what I have. For me, I'm going to recommend, I just finished the third book in the Kaladin series, which was um, the the immediate prequel to the original Dune book. Um, There's three books in there, and I just really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was great. And so um, I... I thought all three were really good and I think well worth your time if you have a chance to check it out. So please do. Um, that that series was fantastic and it was a good lead into the original Dune book. So I, I hope everybody will check that out. Uh, but Christy, you know, if anybody wants to catch up with you and see what you've got going on, where would they find you? And to hear more poetry, perhaps, um, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And of course, check me out in the Babel Conference on Facebook. And then I had a finished show called Sabres and Spells with my friends Amanda and Teresa on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. And of course, like you said at the beginning of the show, I hope people will become Patreon supporters to check out our upcoming Patreon episodes you and I are going to do. Yes, I hope so, too. Uh, and, of course, uh, you can find me on social media under the name MountRushing02, uh, Twitter, Letterbox, Instagram, Pharaoh, all of those type of places. Uh, you can also, of course, find me here on the network outside the 602 Club doing a bunch of shows. The Orb, Warp 5, Literary Tracks, Saddle Up, and The Artificial Tango. And then, of course, on the Nerd Party Network, you can also find me on two shows. One is completed. I did that with... Uh, Drea Kaufman. It's called Owl Post, and we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then, of course, you can also find me doing aggressive negotiations with the great John Mills, which is a Star Wars podcast, which I hope you will also enjoy. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? 